Greatest Hits number three in our summer countdown is Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The context for this verse includes verses 34 through 40. Listen to God's word. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on to these commandments. Well, we continue in our sermon series for the summer. Greatest hits from a poll, a scientific measurement, and a survey of this congregation. And we boiled it down to 10 uh, and uh, you can see we're kind of festive with this. We've got a, uh, a jukebox. We're playing the greatest hits. And uh, we're down to number three on the countdown. And it is Jesus speaking the words of the greatest commandment. Now, these last three, when we did all of the voting, do you remember when we went into the fellowship hall and we put those sticky dots on the different, uh, different uh, verses that were posted up on the wall uh, today, next week, and then the, the final Sunday of the summer on Labor Day weekend, those received a ton of dots. So it's not a surprise to me, you who participated in that are the ones who are saying these verses are of great value. So we're going to have a chance uh, after my sermon uh, for you to share any thoughts uh, or, or, um, or even encouragements that come from your heart and what you feel about these words of God from Matthew 22. Um, you know these, and they are precious to you. Maybe tell us how they are precious to you. Now, during that time also, we'll be taking some prayer requests, so we'll be uh, basically doing a lot of interactive conversation at that time. But first, a uh, little bit of a sermon, a message. We're going to look at this text Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus laying down what the greatest commandment is. We're going to look at it in three C's. Three C's to keep it uh, in order and uh, organized. Here are the three C's. Contest, combo, and corazon. Got that? Contest, combo, and corazon. First, the context. You know, the context of Jesus speaking the words of the greatest commandment, yes, it is all about loving God and loving neighbor. But a, uh, uh, a, a Christian uh, leader, Christian philosopher and ethicist who has, has had a formative influence in my life, a man named Stanley Hauerwas, who for years taught at Duke Divinity School in North Carolina, helped me to see the importance of something that, that for a long time just escaped my understanding and notice. 
in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, he pointed out that the context in which Jesus says these words is important. It's part of the message of the greatest commandment, where it occurs in Jesus' ministry. Now, in the the Gospel of Matthew, there's a lot of teaching that Jesus does. In fact, that's the main theme of the Gospel. It goes kind of on and off, Jesus teaching, then Jesus uh, doing ministry with his disciples, maybe training them and sending them out, and then a little bit more teaching, and then on and on and on. So one of the first major teaching times uh, is very well known, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount from all the biblical testimony that we have, was was, uh, shared by Jesus in a very peaceful place. Considering. um, Considering just all the geopolitical things that were going on. If you've ever been, how many of you have been to the Holy Land? Do we have anyone who's been to the Holy Land? If you've been to the Holy Land, uh, or, and especially if you haven't been to the Holy Holy Land, it's important to, to know that, like the first time you go, now this is important, when there's not a war going on, that's important. Um, when you first arrive at the Sea of Galilee, most of us look at it and say, I could live here. I was struck by just how much the Sea of Galilee area and the hills around it look like places in central Washington, um, like Lake Chelan. Sometimes I've been, I've like woken up looked out across the water of Lake Chelan, and you see the, the kind of the sparseness, but the beauty uh, of those, uh, those kind of scrub hills in the background. And I, and I think, yeah, that's a lot like what it looks like from Tiberius, looking across the Sea of Galilee. And the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus, people, people uh, spread themselves out across a field, and Jesus taught them. And so Jesus' teaching there often gets connected with this sense of getting away, retreating, uh, from the world. Turn the page to later in Matthew's gospel, and you're in a very different time. So I want you to pick up the Bibles that are in the pews. Some of you are, have already done it. Go ahead and look up uh, chapter 22. If you've got a Bible uh, in front of you, if you're at home uh, and uh, you're watching this uh, YouTube, if you have a Bible in front of you, go ahead and turn to Matthew 22. You don't have to do this. Just follow along. I'm going to lead you through it. To get a sense of the context and to recognize the contest that's going on. So get to chapter 22, but I want you to flip back to chapter 21, and we're going to use the titles that the New International Version translators put in the text, not part of the original text, but the titles themselves. So at chapter 21, what do you read in the terms of the title? Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. That's what I have. Is that what you have? What do you have? Triumphal entry, got it. Okay, so some, some versions of the NIV say triumphal entry. I have the more up-to-date one. That's, that's okay. We haven't updated our few Bibles in a long time. I'm sorry. Uh, but it's, it's important. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem as king. This is his triumphal ent- entry into Jerusalem. So two things that you learn from that. Jesus' teaching on the greatest commandment is during Holy Week. Holy Week, things are going down, and they're happening fast. 
Jesus makes a big splash coming into town. People are cheering him, but not everyone is cheering his arrival. And within a week, he will be crucified. He comes into Jerusalem as a king. And Matthew reminds us that just because Jesus comes in, he comes in on a donkey, a different kind of king, than one coming in on a charging horse. But just to show that Jesus is one of authority, Jesus goes right to the temple. Now, the temple was the high point in Jerusalem in more ways than one. It was the center of their religious life. It was also the center of their political life. And Jesus goes to the temple. And what does he do first? Chapter 12, verse 12 of 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. That's quite a splash. We're no longer on the peaceful, placid hills of Galilee. We're at the center of the life, the busy, never-sleeping life of Israel. And Jesus is there to speak his truth to power. The next section that we have after Jesus curses a fig tree is the authority of Jesus questioned the chief priests and the elders of the people, said, what, what authority do you have to do this? So we have covered that. We continue to some different parables where Jesus taught. And then in chapter 22, the parable of the wedding banquet, that in verse 14, Jesus says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. What does that mean? And then finally in verse 15, Jesus is engaged in a question from the Pharisees who are trying to trap him and get him in trouble with either their rulers or Roman occupational forces where Jesus talks about paying the imperial tax to Caesar Give to Caesar what is to Caesar. Give to God what is, to, what is God's. And then in the next section, the Sadducees, who are like a, a rival political party to the Pharisees. They hardly agree on anything, but they agreed on one thing. They were there at the temple in a contest with Jesus. They were taking him on, and he was taking them on. They asked him about marriage. What happens to our relationships with our loved ones after we go to heaven? See, the Sadducees didn't even believe we had an afterlife. And Jesus responded well to their question. And then that's where we get to verse 34. The crowds heard what he said to the Sadducees, and they were astonished at his teaching. And the hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, there's a contest going on. And Jesus is taking on the philosophies, the reigning philosophies of the day, and speaking God's eternal truth in that place. The Pharisees got together 
And you'll see that even after this, the Pharisees then regroup and then come back to Jesus. So you could imagine there's kind of a debate going on, and these different groups are in the temple court, and they're gathering and huddling together saying, wow, that didn't go well for the Sadducees right there. What are we going to say? How are we going to challenge this man? And so they come back, and an expert in the law wants to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And the, the, the simplest way of understanding why this is a test is, well, if you say what the most important thing is, are you saying that everything else doesn't matter? Because to be faithful means to keep all the law. Jesus responds and has something to say. This text of loving God with our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, is about our hearts, and it is about interpersonal relationships and our relationship with God, but it is also a political philosophy. It is a philosophy that Jesus brought to the center of both religious and political power. It's like, well, let's just imagine. If Jesus would come to the United States, Jesus would go to Washington, D.C. Would he find different parties who don't agree on hardly anything? Who have all kinds of philosophies about things and maybe they've boiled things down in different directions Jesus has something to say in places of power. In our, has something to say to us as we engage in that life. And what he has to say is about loving God and loving neighbor. The greatest commandment is more practical and public and political than we might think. It is teaching that is meant to be at home in the middle of the bustle of public life. In the middle of the debates of the time. It is meant to be brought up and lived out in the midst of the political ad season. Or in the middle of people lobbing social media grenades back and forth. It's meant for that. God's people are formed to, to follow this greatest commandment and to live it out in that world. Next, the second C, combo. Combo is a shorthand for combination. And one of the very simple aspects of Jesus' response to this question that makes it into the, the, uh, the, our favorite verse, our greatest hit number three, is that he was asked for what was the greatest commandment, and he doesn't give him one. He gives him two. Or rather, I think there's a consensus in the church that Jesus gave one A and one B. You can't separate the two. So he redefines the terms. It's an expression of his authority. Remember last week, uh, we talked about the Lord Sabaot, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, where uh, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted 
among the nations. This is that authority playing out in Jesus' words. More significantly than him just redefining the terms, he helps us to understand that love of God and love of neighbor always go together. You see, we might have missed that point if Jesus didn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We might have missed that point. Probably the most likely thing that we would have missed is we wouldn't have put two and two together that loving God expresses itself in loving the people God loves, the people he's created, our neighbors. This is helpful to remember. And it's because it's easy to focus on one at the expense of the other. In the Christian life, you have these two major positions or, or strategies of love, right? Loving God and loving neighbor. We are not meant, based on the greatest commandment, we're not meant to be specialists. We're meant to be generalists. Does that make sense? We're not meant, Jesus is not saying, take your pick and do one of these, and that's cool. Jesus is saying, love God and love neighbor. It's all part of the same thing. You know, recently I had been watching uh, a documentary series on the baseball player Derek Jeter. Now, it says something about the person of Derek Jeter, who as a lifelong New York Yankee, would have me interested in watching a documentary about him. I actually have always been a fan of Derek Jeter, even though I've not always been a fan of the Yankees. And, and ironically, as you watch this series, you realize just how much, especially early in Derek Jeter's career, Derek Jeter became a star really uh, because he beat the Seattle Mariners <laughs> in, in significant series. So that was always all, all, also very interesting. But there was something really interesting in, uh, in Derek Jeter's career. See, he was a shortstop. One of the things he's most proud of is that he played his entire career. From his first day, his major league debut, to the very last day, he played it at shortstop, out in the field. He never was sent out to the pasture of DH. Uh, he never switched positions. And that's contrasted in the documentary with Alex Rodriguez, who ultimately, when, he, when they... He came up. He came up as a, a highly touted young shortstop, just like Derek Jeter. Played for the Seattle Mariners. Then, of course, A. Rod took a meager contract with the Texas Rangers and moved there, and then took another meager contract with the New York Yankees. And Alice Rodriguez moved. He didn't challenge Derek Jeter for shortstop. He moved to third base, which is something Derek Jeter says he would never have done. It's just different ways of approaching things. Now, take what Alex Rodriguez did, moving positions when he moved to another team. What about those players who can play all kinds of position, and the manager is able to put them in the different positions? Whatever situation they're in, they're called utility players, right? They're called utility players. We are called to be utility players when it comes to loving God and loving neighbor. We need to be good and be trained and be equipped to love God well. And we also need to love people well because that's what the greatest game is all about. Our manager and coach Jesus won't give us the opportunity to specialize. He coaches and prepares us for both. 
because they always belong together. Okay, we've talked about the contest. We've talked about the combo. And now the corazon. Corazon, which is Spanish for heart. From the Latin, core. The heart is the expression of the kind of the center of love within our being. The heart is where the motivation to love God or love others resides. It's also where we feel the impact of God loving us and others loving us. The heart is at the heart of relationships. Jesus is saying something powerful about our relationship with God and others. He's defining it in terms of relationship. That at the heart is the heart. Imagine what Jesus might have said. Think of all the things that you are aware of that Jesus said, or that Jesus said in his teaching, that God said in his law, and it could have been all kinds of things, which through the lens of knowing the greatest commandment, we see that these are about love, but Jesus could have stopped short of the heart. That's actually what, where the Pharisees were. They stopped short of recognizing that it was about the heart. So Jesus might have said, the greatest commandment is about faithfulness. Do what God says and don't derivate from that. Be faithful. Jesus could have said, it's about the greatness of sacrifice that you make for God. I mean, there's tons about sacrifice in the law. And yet Jesus goes past the sacrifice, doesn't deny it, builds upon it, but takes us deeper to show us what sacrifice truly is about at its core, at its essence. Jesus then could have said, it's about accomplishment. Do great things for me. But Jesus reminds us that God's covenant is all about el corazón. Amen? The heart. And knowing this helps us understand all the details of all of God's law that we read. It's their real purpose. Remember our children's message, the the boiling down to get to the heart of the law, the essence. It's about love of God and love of neighbor. And as we reconstitute that, as we study God's word, we see, oh, that thing that God's telling us to do. I thought it was about this It was about me making myself right with God. It turns out it's about me expressing God's love to others. It's related to my my letting God's love in and transform me. Wow, it's all making sense. Last thing I'm going to say about the Corazon is it's universal. People of any age, in any culture, can do this. Everyone can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's open access. No one's excluded. 
It doesn't take money. It doesn't take good grades in school. It doesn't take high status over against other people. Other people don't have to lose in this arrangement. We all can do this. And so to conclude, earlier this summer, we looked at another one of our top 10 verses that was also about love. Do you remember that one? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to save us. To paraphrase it. If you combine John 3.16 and Matthew 22, you will get a full picture of love. Of God's love for us. And God's love not, yes, for us each individually, but look around. God's love for that person too. And then think about that person you're having a really hard time in life with right now. Yep. God so loves them too. But, but that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. And then we find ourselves wondering, well, how are we to then live? And Jesus lays it down for us. Return the love. Love God with who you are, beginning with the heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. Contest, combo, Corazon. It all boils down to love.